Hello, 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 everybody. This is the 12th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green of RedSoxUnfiltered.com. We have a very exciting show, as always. Uh, Would like to wish everybody a happy sale day. That was just not of this planet. It was a great performance. I don't know if anyone saw it. A couple hours ago, Chris Sale just, oh, he just demolished every Mariners hitter and made them look like little leaguers, and that's what Chris Sale does. But today, it was something else. It was something spectacular, and we're going to we're gonna run through that uh, in just a bit, too. Um, joining me, as always, we got Dave Latham, who is also of Red Sox Unfiltered. Dave, say hi to everybody. How's it going, everyone? And then also joining, as usual, we have Jordan Decoe. Uh, Jordan, also give a shout-out to the people. Shout-out to the people. How are you doing? You do the best of that, Jordan. I love when you give shout-outs to the people. You did it. That was excellent. <laughs> but, yeah, um, we're actually we're, – we have a lot of fun topics for everybody today. But we're going to start off a little different because there was some breaking news about some previous breaking news. Um, yeah, Hanley Ramirez. Uh, so on Friday, it was reported that the recently released, I don't know, kind of recently released, Hanley Ramirez was under state and federal investigation in connection with some sort of drug ring. And this was reported by ABC News' Michelle McPhee. Um, and yeah, Twitter was absolutely rampant with rumors from suspected murder to large-scale drug operations uh, involving Hanley Ramirez. But, however, today, just like honestly, like about an hour ago, less than an hour ago, uh, Boston Globe reported that the rumors were false. He was not and is not under any investigation connected to this. Um, so, yeah, that came out. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that, but I wanted to elicit your thoughts on the subject. Dave, what did you think about the reports that uh, Hanley Ramirez is now absolved from any of these allegations? Yeah, so um, I'm actually out of Boston Globe free articles for the month, so but I saw the headline. I think Pete Abraham tweeted it out. So, I mean, Hanley Ramirez, drug lord, had a really nice ring to it, and a part of me is a little disappointed it didn't happen because that would have been hilarious. But you know, obviously, it, it's good for Hanley for not being a drug lord. It's the whole thing is just good. entirely ridiculous. And I guess, you know, we learned it was baseball reasons after all, like the Red Sox initially said, that we uh, let go of Hanley. Yeah, definitely. Um, Adam Katz, who's Hanley Ramirez's agent, actually uh, had a statement, and this is via Bob Nightingale on Twitter of USA Today. He said, or Katz said, who's, uh, again, Ramirez's agent, he said, the reporting on Hanley's involvement in this matter was reckless and irresponsible. It's unfortunate that one careless, inaccurate story can generate such widespread negative and damaging coverage. Hanley is pleased to be absolved from wrongdoing and having any involvement in this matter. Um, yeah, I honestly think it was egregious reporting by McPhee. Um, I think, it, especially because it was something as serious as this, there was not a lot of fact-checking, and it ultimately, I mean, good for Hanley for not being involved in this. As Dave said, it was kind of like a really outlandish um, report, but a lot of people bought into it. A lot of people were saying things about Hanley Ramirez, and they proved not to be true, but uh, again, it, it definitely damaged her credibility um, on that report and even like the Red Sox were being they were having some negative coverage because people were um, saying that they knew about this and that was the reason they ultimately released him and that was not the case and people were lambasting the Red Sox public relations for not being up front but that is also not the case so good for Boston Globe for purveying the truth and getting that out there um, yeah Definitely, definitely not a fan of how this report went. Uh, Jordan, what were your thoughts on this whole situation? Um, I mean, 
I think you guys covered it pretty well just now. Uh, but yeah, it's a classic case of a uh, fake news, which is unfortunately pretty common in this era. In this era, because you know everyone everyone has a voice now, and it's kind of uh, compl- complicated to seek out what's true and what's what's not. But um, yeah, I mean, good for Hanley for not being a drug lord. And uh, like you guys said, it's just unfortunate that someone could uh, make up a false story that obviously had like you know spread through the twitterverse and had a uh, obviously a negative impact on hanley yeah definitely um mcphee was also involved in the aaron Her- when the aaron hernandez stuff first came out she was one of the first people to report it so she had some um what a credibility attached to her i mean she works for abc news so obviously she has to be somewhat of a pretty good journalist to get to that point but i feel like that the information about there was some sort of facetime call about I, I actually had one free article left for Boston Globe, Dave. So I actually looked on my phone and was reading what uh, the article on the Globe was, and it was basically saying that the stuff about uh, there was a friend of his who claimed that they were Ramirez's drugs, or they were like Ramirez. It was a package for Ramirez, and then he FaceTime Ramirez, and then Ramirez was like, "Yeah, open it. I don't know what it is." And they opened it. He originally the guy claimed it was like books that he had to get for Hanley Ramirez's mother, or I don't know, something like that. And instead, they opened it, and they found lots and lots of drugs. And then he, the guy immediately was like, oh, Henry Ramirez had nothing to do with this. He had nothing to do with this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then, yeah, he threw Ramirez under the bus. But, yeah, there is no substance to it, and I'm glad that Henry Ramirez is absolved from all of this. Ramirez, by all indications, is a great guy. And the reason that the Red Sox ultimately cut ties with him is because he was playing crappy baseball and was getting a lot and it was going to get a lot of money for doing so. So, yeah, that uh, happened, and that should be all in the past, but definitely something we needed to cover. Anyway, let's get to actual baseball stuff. Um, so we're going to break down the Mariners-Red Sox series here because it was a very good series, very captivating series, kind of like the first one last week. Um, but we'll start with Friday, and then we'll go into Sunday. Uh, the Red Sox picked up a 14-10 to victory over Seattle in what was an absolute slugfest, offense galore. It was one of the best games I've seen all year. The Red Sox combined for 20 hits. J.D. Martinez went 4-for-5 with two doubles and a long ball for five RBIs. But Nelson Cruz, who was on the losing team, actually did one better than Martinez, who, you know, killed the ball that game. Uh, Cruz had four hits for Seattle with seven RBIs and two dingers. Um, Devers and Moreland got three hits apiece and in what uh, looks to be a Devers resurgence, which we'll probably talk about later, too. And uh, Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer who has been great for mo- the the majority of the season and his previous three starts was absolutely shelled 10 earned runs in four innings so guys i it was a great game it was an exciting game it was one of the best games i've seen all year i was on the edge of my seat the whole time but uh steven wright that kind of came out of left field i didn't expect him to give up 10 runs get shelled this bad um did that performance dave uh to you like does that have you lost any of your original faith in steven wright has your perspective changed on what he could be for this team uh not particularly no i mean it's bad outings like this is just sort of the nature of the beast with the knuckleball I mean, because really, every time you throw that pitch, um, nobody, including Stephen Wright, knows where it's going to end up. He has a general idea of where he hopes it goes, but the entire pitch is just predicated on fooling the batter horribly because you can't really pick it up. If the knuckleball's not working, this isn't like 
when Chris Sale doesn't have his fastball, he has other he still has other pitchers where he won't look quite as dominant, but he can still get guys out. If Stephen Wright doesn't have his knuckleball, which is a notoriously difficult pitch to throw to begin with, he has nothing. So this is sort of just the nature of a beast. This is what you gamble with the knuckleball. When it's on, he's nearly unhittable. When he's off, he has an 85-mile-an-hour fastball and a knuckleball that doesn't knuckle. So he's going to get shelled every now and again. And that's just sort of sort of the deal. That's just sort of the deal. Um, sort of why, in my mind, he can never really become better than the fourth or fifth pitcher on the team just because every single time out, you never know what you're going to get. More likely than not, it's going to be good. But when it's bad, it's there's pretty much it's always going to be this bad. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just sort of what you sign up for. Yeah, and I, I was pretty confused why Cora left him in there as long as he did because he was not looking good. I think he gave up the second home run to Cruz. I don't know why he was pitching to Cruz in that situation after Cruz had shelled him the previous at-bats, but that that's not a big deal, I don't think. I, the Red Sox got the win, so obviously it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But but yeah, uh, Jordan, what were your thoughts on Stephen Wright's performance, and have, has your perspective changed uh, in terms of what you think of Wright? Um, I mean, I'm I'm with Dave here. Uh, it's just kind of how how knuckleball how knuckleballers are. I mean, when they're on, they're on. When they're off, you, I mean, you got to start like uh, like Stephen Wright had on Friday. But uh, I mean, bully for the offense to keep on fighting back because now it could have been a lot worse if if our defense or not defense if our offense was a uh, was stagnant. It was imperative yeah. that our offense was was on that night. Oh, yeah, the offense was absolutely killing it. Um, obviously, they got 14 runs and 20 hits. Um, in terms of Stephen Wright, uh, I think I had this view that he was like the Red Sox fourth and fifth, fourth or fifth best starter in the rotation, and I think that's exactly what he's going to be going forward. I think this 10 earned run game, while I don't think he's going to give up 10 runs in the future or anything close to that, I, I think it kind of reset people's expectations were right a little bit just because he had a 123 ERA and his 350-ish FIP fielding independent pitching, which is his underlying stuff, suggested that this wasn't sustainable. And I think that he kind of like was a bit of a market correction almost and he came back to life. But like a 350 ERA, which is what I expect right to produce going forward, is not bad whatsoever. He is a, I think he's going to be a very valuable starter and I think he definitely uh, represents an upgrade in the rotation over Pomeran it's just as Dave and you Jordan said too knuckleballs are volatile uh, pitches and this can happen from time to time so yeah Stephen Wright not really changed much in my mind um, but yeah we're going to move on to Saturday's game Saturday's game uh, was not as fun as Friday's game not at all so the Red Sox had a 7-2 to loss it looks like it looked like for a very long time they were going to be shut out 7-0 pulled together two runs in the ninth inning off of Edwin Diaz, which is kind of surprising. Um, but other than that, they were just, uh, the offense was unresponsive after exploding the night before. Wade LeBlanc, Wade freaking LeBlanc, pitched eight innings of zero earned run baseball. Um, guys, Dave, Dave, what did you think of this game? Uh, well, did Wade LeBlanc pinch against Stephen Wright? I thought he, um, I thought we shelled him in the first Oh game. my god, yeah, you're right. You're, this is Mike Leake. This is Mike Leake. I don't know why I have Wade LeBlanc listed here. Yeah, it was Mike Leake Saturday and Wade LeBlanc went Friday. That is, that is my bad. Yeah, okay. Mike Leake, eight innings of zero. Yeah, I was going to say, I was, part of the reason I was happy about Friday's game was it was the Wade LeBlanc revenge game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So. Okay. So about Saturday's game, um, I actually instead of seeing the Red Sox, I saw the Incredibles too. Good and choice. when I walked out of the theater, I checked my checked the score on my phone and saw that it was seven seven nothing in the bottom of the eighth, and thought, yeah, I didn't miss anything today. So I just acted like that game didn't happen. That you know, just I missed it. The Red Sox didn't play either; they didn't show up, so I don't have to either. So things went bad. I'm not happy, but I really don't know too much of the details. Yeah, yeah, I think you made the right choice. The Incredibles too. It was it was not an incredible performance by the Red Sox, and yeah, it was Mike Leake who pitched that game. I don't know why I thought it was Wade LeBlanc. I I, I mixed up the mediocre Seattle Mariners pitchers. Um, so yeah, Wade LeBlanc, uh, Mike Leake won eight innings of zero and runs, shut down the Red Sox. Bogey and Betts were both held out of that game though, so they were missing two of their best hitters, and it showed because. The bottom of the lineup was kind of punchless, and they had Zui Lin, who was just called up, batting leadoff for the team. Um, Erod didn't have a good performance either. He gave up four earned runs and four innings, um, and the Sox only managed to get six total hits in the game. Uh, in terms of Eduardo Rodriguez's performance, a lot of people were saying some negative things about him on various social media platforms, but uh, he was bound to have a bad game. He's been so good for the team. Um, but yeah, the bottom of the lineup struggled. Um, their five through nine hitters batted one. Uh, they had one hit in 17 tries. It was Brock Holt, Raphael Devers, Eduardo Nunez, Christian Vasquez, and JBJ. And then Blake Swihart pinch hit for Devers at one point. Jordan, uh, Jordan, what did, what do you think of the Red Sox bottom of the lineup? How do you feel about its production and do they need to improve there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, it's great to have, uh, Mookie Betts, you know, hit a grand slam or hit a home run with uh, Andrew Benintendi and J.D. Martinez. But, I mean, the bottom of the lineup, uh, especially, well, I don't know if it's especially in the um, American League, but at least, at least you know, let's, let's get it back to the Red Sox. For the Red Sox, I mean, it's it's important for the bottom of the lineup to, to um, I guess, to do well just because, I mean, when when Mookie's not having a uh, bad game, when when Mookie's having a bad game, or JD Mar- Martinez is off, it's I mean, it's, it's obviously important for the uh, the bottom of the line, bottom of the lineup to pick them up. So it kind of it rounds out the lineup if if everyone can uh, you know do or do their job to uh, to preach Bill Belichick for a minute. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dave, what did you think of the bottom of the lineup? What is your thoughts on their production so far? Yeah, they. Yeah, the bottom of the lineup definitely needs to start pulling its weight, and some of them have, because the early part of the season we had gaping black holes at second base, third, center field, and catcher. Uh, Raphael Devers is absolutely coming around. He's becoming a key part of this lineup. He's um, certainly turned it around, so I feel like the third base spot really we don't need to worry about anymore. Not that we ever did, but now we really don't. And center field, Jackie's numbers still aren't there, but he is absolutely carrying the cover off of the ball. Oh, yeah. He wrote a really good article about it. Uh, Jackie Thank Bradley you. is just like insanely unlucky. And I saw another tweet. I think it was um, Red Sox stats. Oh, yeah. Uh, they tweeted out the uh, highest average velocity of um, ha- highest exit velocity of uh, batters, and Jackie Bradley is leading the league in the month of June. He's seeing the ball well. He's crushing it. He's just hitting it directly at people. And frankly, there's not much you can do about that. That's just dumb luck, and you got to figure... At some point, that luck's going to turn around and Jackie's going to start producing like he should. There's definitely hope on the horizon for him, so I don't think, um, you know, 
trade Jackie, promote Ruse Knight. Absolutely not. Jackie will turn it around. Definitely. We've got problems with second base and catcher and against left-handed pitching. I think on the roster, there's not too much we can do about that right now. I think that's something we definitely need to address via trade in some way, shape, or form. We talked about this on the last podcast. You know, give me Jed Lowry, give me Justin Smoak, give me a... if there's a catcher that's actually affordable because there's absolutely, there's like maybe five good catchers in the league right now, so they're probably going at a crazy value. But if there's one that's affordable, we can definitely go for an upgrade there. So, I mean, right now we really are relying on the top five or six guys to be on every single game because when they're not, we have no offense. Yeah, and that's plagued the Red Sox this year when they're top five hitters are not producing it's just like you can't like six through nine it's going to be difficult usually seven through nine but as you said yeah i'm i'm starting to come around with dever oh i, I mean I've, I've always believed in dever's potential but he's starting to come around he's swinging a really hot bat um and jbj even i think like I, the tweet that you referenced was like yeah red sox stats i think he had the highest percentage of hard hit ball baseballs in the month of june which is an incredibly good sign he had three singles today uh, in sunday's game so yeah jbj starting to hit uh turn it around i'm not sure if he'll ever he'll be an offensive plus for boston but i still think uh he brings a decent package but catcher and second base are concerning um second base is a little perplexing to me about what the red sox actually do there um do they get somebody who can hit uh lefties um at the trade deadline to pair with holt and but that like is contingent on where pedroia is like when is he going to come back and there's a lot of uncertainty with that situation eduardo nunez i think has um, unfortunately proven that he can't be a productive player this season i don't know if it just is not in the cards but nunez has not been very good at all holt's been surprisingly good but yeah and i think dave you mentioned that like he historically doesn't do as good in the second half as he does in the first half um and that's concerning with holt in terms of catcher yeah i I think i've been championing that the red sox need to upgrade here vasquez and leon both combined for nothing blake swihart's the distant third option and they don't want him in the backstop um so dave i wanted to ask you along the lines of the catcher position um do you think that the Red Sox have a realistic shot of making a move for JT Romuto, who's of the Miami Marlins and is the, one of the premier backstops uh, in the league? I don't think I don't think we do. This is um, you kind of glitched out. You're talking about Romuto, the uh, Marlins uh, back. Yes. Catcher? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think we have too much of a realistic shot at him, just because, like I said earlier, there's like maybe five catchers in the league that are capable of, like, catching and hitting at a major league level. Usually you get one or the other. Right now we have got, right now Vasquez and Leon both can hit at the major league level, and they're good enough defensively, I guess, but you can certainly upgrade them. But, you know, Real Muto is, like, really one of only two or three guys I can think that's, like, a really good catcher on a really bad team. Outside of that, the best you could get is, like, a marginal upgrade, like maybe trade for Russell on the Blue Jays, but even then, they've been... They haven't exactly been sold on him at catcher. He's been playing all over the field. He's versatile. I really don't know. Um, I think the catcher situation, unless the market is considerably lower than what I think it is, I think it just is what it is right now. I don't think the Sox can do too much about it. 
Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying. I think Wilson Ramos would also be an interesting option out of Tampa Bay. He's a pretty good catcher. I don't know if they'll hold on to him, despite the fact that the Rays just swept the Yankees, and that that was pretty awesome. Red Sox back in first, baby. We're tied for it, so that's pretty cool. But, yeah, Realmuto would be a pipe dream for me because I think Realmuto is one of the best players in the game, and it's very rare to have a catcher of his offensive uh, caliber, and he's having a career year right now and definitely cementing himself as an elite catcher. I, I think he already did that, but it, this season it's even more crazy because he's controlling the run game like never before. He's hitting with more power. And I just don't know if the Red Sox have the pieces to acquire him. They don't have a great farm system. They had two top 100 prospects coming into the year. One of them was Michael Chavez. He was suspended for PEDs. His stock has fallen. And then you have Jay Groom, whose stock has also fallen because of Tommy John surgery. So, yeah, I don't know if they have the pieces to make this move um, at present. But the Marlins did ship guys like Mar- Marcelo Zuna and John Carlos Stanton for a less return than people thought. So, I'd be very interested to see what the actual market is for Real Mudo. I know a lot of contending teams could use a catcher like the Washington Nationals, but we'll, we'll see how this develops. Uh, Jordan, Jordan, what do you think about the Red Sox current catching situation? Do you think that they need to upgrade or explore different options? I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with Dave here. I mean, if we can upgrade, we like, we should, but I think the way, the way that uh, Dave sold out was pretty good where um, yes, like I think real Muto right now is a pipe dream, but I mean, if we can get anybody, um, anybody that's like better right now, I like, I, I don't, I don't, I think it's, it's going to be like a, it's, not, it's definitely not going to be like real Muto. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, yes, I agree. Um, and I just don't think we have the hall for, um, real Muto for, for, for real Muto right now. Um, and if there's like a catcher out there that we could get, like it's going to be like incremental. But like right now, we kind of we're kind of doing like a catcher by committee, committee which uh, you know, I never like it. I never like I never like doing anything by a, a committee situation. So, yes, like the the catcher situation is like our weakest point of of our roster right now. So, but I don't know what we're going to do about it. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see if the Red Sox decide to upgrade there. They obviously need a right-handed bat off the bench to hit lefties to help with that, too. But we talked about that ad nauseum last week. I think I mentioned the catcher situation last week a little bit, too. I probably will be talking about it until July 31st when the trade deadline happens. But, yeah, so um, we're going to move on here from Saturday's game, and we're going to segue right into today's game, Sunday's game. Um, so it was a 5-0 victory for the Red Sox. So they won the series against the Mariners. Win the, se- the season series, I think they took four of three games, uh, four of seven games. So they were four and three against the Mariners for this year. Uh, Chris Sale is dominant as hell. I would like to read this statistic by at Red Sox Stats. Red Sox Stats gets frequent plugs on the show because they just keep giving us amazing material to use. And this one's a gem right here. So... The most swing and misses by a Red Sox starter in the pitch tracking era. It has listed Chris Sale's start today, which literally was mind-boggling. He had 26 of 93 swing and misses off batters, which is an incredible number. Second was Clay Buckles, who was also 26, but this was 26 of 114 pitches. And this was in April of 2010 when Clay Buckles was at his peak. Um, I haven't checked in on Buckles as a diamondback lately, but hopefully he's doing well there. I don't know about that. 
And then we got Chris Sale in May 2018. Uh, he went 26, uh, 26 swings and misses of 116 pitches. So Chris Sale gets a lot of swings and misses, and today was probably the best performance he's had in a Red Sox uniform, despite only going seven innings and tossing 93 pitches. He was electric. He went seven innings, zero earned runs, struck out 13, and walked one. He came in, and he was pitching like 98, 99. Like, he had so much zip on his fastball, and I usually, I think Dennis Eckersley mentioned this, usually sales starts like mid-90s and then kind of gradually builds it up to 98, 99. No, he just kept firing it, and he had a 100-mile-per-hour fastball at one point. Um, and yeah, it was an economical performance. Um, Jordan, Jordan, what did you think about Chris Sale's performance today? You know what? It's, it's, like, it's a typical Chris Sale start. Um, I mean, he gave, he gave you a lively fastball. I think, uh, his, his slider was just nasty. He, uh, he got that, he got the uh, strike call like on the corner, uh, from the umpire. You know, what really, uh, what really made this like a, you know, a complete start for Chris was that, you know, he got the offense that he deserves to get dur- uh, during like this run that he's on. Um, I mean, they put up five, I mentioned they put up five runs. The offense did. Yeah. I think I, um, I think I added into my recap that his last five starts where he's gone, uh, like, He's got a, he's got to start with double digits. Like the Red Sox has not like haven't scored more than five runs in those starts. So it's good to see like the Red Sox provide the run support oh, that uh, Chris Sale needs to like have a dominant start like he he did today. Yeah, Sale's been plagued without getting any run support all season, um, but today they came through. Dave, what were your thoughts on Chris Sale's performance? Well, I mean, you know, it's Chris Sale, so it's come to the point where he's so spoiled where. <laughs> You know, this is sort of expected, but I would like to give a shout-out to Alex Cora on here. Earlier in the year when uh, he was only pitching six, seven innings a game, never going over 100 pitches, everyone was saying, well, why Why are you doing that? Why is this happening? Well, this is why. Chris Sale is hitting, a hun- is hitting 100 near the end of June. He wasn't doing that last year. And one other thing I noticed, um, Twitter told me this, is that through uh, – through the same point last season, Chris Sale, who was the runner-up in 2017 for the Cy Young, 2017 Chris Sale had a higher ERA and um, this than uh, 2018 Sale, and he had thrown 138 extra pitches. So basically, Sale, halfway through the season, is a game and a half more rested than he was last year, pitching the same amount of games. Alex Cora has got him fresher. Alex Cora has got him throwing 100, which... I mean, he threw fast last year, but I'm not sure he was ever hitting 100 outside of April. Yeah. And frankly, he's pitching his best. We've seen Sale historically wear down as the season go on. It's like the one, it's his like one Achilles heel, because aside from that, he's, you know, unbelievable. So if Alex Cora's strategy of keeping him like slowly, like weaning him into the season, so far it appears to be working. Could Because yeah. I'd much rather have Sale going full speed and, September and October than I would in April. So, thank you, Alex Carr. This was honestly a great move. Yeah, Alex Cora's conservation strategy seems to work, and a lot of people have taken exception with it in various uh, aspects of the team this year. But I think in the in the end, it will work, and I think Chris Sale is a really awesome evidence that is already panning out. Um, he's struggling faster. His performance later in the season is doing very well. We'll see how he actually performs in September, but I feel like, yeah, as you said, he's thrown less pitches, which is really good for his arm, so he's probably going to be more rested. And I think it was. Fu- it's also funny because... 
I think in episode 10, we talked about how Chris Sale was struggling a little bit. He was coming off of a brave start and an Astros start where he had like gave up like nine runs in the two starts and he did not look great. But here we are now we're now we're talking about how great Chris Sale is. And I think that was our conclusion that this was going to happen. This was on the horizon. But yeah, Chris Sale, awesome, awesome performance. And this was just a pleasure to watch. Um, yeah, Dennis Eckersley and Dave O'Brien actually had an argument in the booth today about if we are we don't appreciate Chris Sale as much as we, we should because he does it so often. But yeah, it was definitely a wake up call. I definitely think like sometimes people take advantage of how good Chris Sale is and this is the best Red Sox starter since Pedro Martinez and Sale is wonderful and it's been a pleasure to watch him and this was just like the cherry on top of what has been a great season for him and I can't wait to see him do it uh, against the Yankees. I think he pitches that Saturday. So yeah, let's we'll see how he does in the Bronx. Um, but Mitch Moreland actually went super, super deep to straightaway center for a two-run shot. I wrote an article on Red Sox Unfiltered earlier this week. Actually, yeah, earlier this week, last week, when Mitch Moreland was struggling, ta- talking about what's wrong with Mitch Moreland. There's nothing wrong with Mitch Moreland. Mitch Moreland has been amazing since I wrote that article. I look foolish. I look dumb. Mitch Moreland, really good. Um, and he was just going through a little bit of a slump and very happy that he's back to producing what he uh, is capable of doing. The Red Sox need him out of the four hole, especially as we all mentioned, the bottom of the lineup is just not producing. I actually saw a funny Twitter video. I think it was Jared Carabas of Barstool Sports. And Mitch Moreland was asked about what the Tom Brady diet was. And then he was like, what the hell's the Tom Brady diet? Is it steak and potatoes? Because that's what I do. thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Mitch Moreland, funny guy too. Good hitter, really funny guy. So that's the whole package right there. And as we talked about, Jackie Bradley Jr., three for three in this game, three singles. That's been a while. I think it's his third three-hit game of the season. Uh, yeah, he he was spraying the ball, hit some hard. It was nice that some of them actually, you know, actually went on the ground and went for hits instead of being really hard hit outs. Um, so Jordan, Jordan, what were your thoughts on today's game outside of Chris Sale? What did you notice? Um, you know what, uh, the bottom of the fifth inning where we got, you know, we, where we played a little bit of small ball. Um, I mean, Xander Bogart's got, uh, got a double to start off the inning and then, uh, Nunez had a single to, to, to drive him over to second, not, not second, third. Um, and then we, I mean, and then we had a couple sack flies to, yeah. uh, to drive in two runs. Um, like it, it was actually, you know, really nice to see, um, cause I don't think you get, you don't, you don't get that a lot, uh, in American league games. Um, so it was really nice to see, uh, see the Red Sox play uh, station to station a little bit and play some small ball, but like, it was also great to see, uh, no, Mitchy Forbags uh, uh, go deep to center. So, yeah. yeah, the small ball was awesome. Yeah, small ball was awesome. Uh, Sandy Leone and Mitch, uh, Mookie Betts had the sack flies, and uh, Mookie Betts hit one really deep to center, like 420 mark, almost left the building, but it was a sack fly instead. They played some nice small ball, got runs, got Chris Sale's runs, so that was good. Uh, Dave, what were your thoughts on the game today? Um, we didn't really have too many past, oh my god, Chris Sale, you know? That's all you need. Pretty, you know, it was pretty much a dominating, a dominating win. We beat, uh, I believe the Mariners have the wild card if all things ended today. Yeah. So we beat them 7 nothing. We handily beat them. Everyone in the lineup sort of contributed. It was a very complete game, you know? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yay, Red Sox. <laughs> yay, Red Sox. Go, Red Sox. It was a great way to end the series, and the Red Sox will take on the Angels next, another AL West uh, wild card contender. Um, that'll be a good series. Uh, did the Red Sox sweep the Angels in the beginning of the season? I feel like they did, right? Is oh, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, tw- 27-3 to 3 combined score. Oh, my God. It was that bad? I didn't know that. Holy yeah, crap. Yeah, it, it was a slaughter, and they had Otani then. They don't now. Yeah, yeah. Didn't Mugiwetz go like he had the three-home run game? Didn't he hit two off Otani, if I'm remembering correct? I think I think that happened. Yeah, yeah. Mookie, Mookie was unstoppable. Really, everyone was. That was... That was during the seventeen and two start of the season. So yeah, that that happened quite frequently. Um, so yeah, hoping for some more three run home run performance by Mookie Betts. Um, and then you got the New York Yankees after the Angels. Um, but yeah, to actually conclude this segment or this podcast episode, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Red Sox bullpen. So last week we touched on different trade. Uh, who we th- what we think the Red Sox need to upgrade. Uh, in terms of the trade deadline, and uh, we you, we talked about a little bit um, right-handed bats. Um, we talked about your article, Dave, about how the Red Sox should pursue someone who can hit left-handed pitching. We talked about Jed Lauer. We, we talked about Justin Smoke. Um, but today, I would like to talk about the bullpen, um, and because we, I think we all unanimously agreed that the Red Sox should probably get uh, someone to help in later innings. Um, Dave, who do you, first of all, what do you think of the Red Sox bullpen so far, its current rendition, and do you think they need to upgrade, and if so, who should they target? Well, I think it gets a lot more hate than it deserves. I think we have um, a pretty good bullpen, not like, you know, a top five unit by any means, but Craig Kimbrell's one of the best closers in the game, probably the best. Joe Kelly's had a great great season uh, as the setup guy. Matt Barnes gets a lot more hate than he is completely unjustified. I actually wrote an article about that the other day. Um, I started out writing that article saying, thinking it was going to be like a Matt Barnes gets more hate than he deserves sort of thing. But when I looked up his numbers, he's actually having a phenomenal season. So it just kind of turned into a Matt Barnes love fest. So I think he's um, a really good guy who's, um, would be he's a great seventh inning guy in pretty much any setup. We're getting Thornburg back at some point. You got Brandon Workman up there too, who's pretty good. Um, but obviously, you could always use to upgrade the bullpen. There's no such thing as too many relief arms, and any bullpen that still has Heath Embry on it has a roster spot that could be updated in my mind or upgraded. <laughs> so, with all that with all that said, uh, there's a few ways I'd like the Sox to look. Um, I think uh, the Orioles, Zach Brim, I think that would be a really good high-risk, high-reward Definitely. Because the Orioles are going nowhere fast. They've got uh, Britton on the last year of his contract, and he's coming off a pretty major injury to his Achilles. Um, he made his debut against us like two weeks ago. Um, I haven't really looked into how he's done since he's come back, but when he's healthy, he's one of the best yeah. uh, late-inning arms in the game. I think if you brought him in, he'd, be, he'd immediately be the eighth-inning guy. You could have, in a bullpen of, you know, Barnes, Kelly, and, uh, or excuse me, Kimbrell, Kelly, and uh, Britton, that would be really, really hard for opposing hitters to get through. And then Barnes, Workman, and maybe Thornburg complementing that. That's a really, really deep bullpen right there. That is. Um, another guy I'd like to see them go after, Ryan Tempera of the, uh, of the Blue Jays. I think he could be a really good pick here. And... Depending on how serious the Padres are about the Brad Hand situation, I'd like to see us go there too, because 
they, the Padres are reportedly looking for a young, everyday player like Raphael Devers to trade for Brad Hand, and there's no way they are going to get that no. for for a reliever, and I think the Padres know, know that. They just kind of sort of are selling high right now, but as the deadline gets closer, they're going to have to move down that offer because there's no team in baseball dumb enough to give up that for a reliever. And if the price drops enough, I'd, I'd really like to add him to the back end of the rookie of the uh, bullpen. Yeah, I think all those guys you listed are very high-quality options for the Red Sox to pursue. Um, Brad Hand, I would love to get Brad Hand, a nice lefty, one of the best closers in baseball over the past couple of years. But that price tag, if they're really looking for Raphael Devers, then the Red Sox should not pursue that any further, like a, a player of Devers' caliber. Um, and you said that too. But some guys I had, because I don't know if the Red Sox have the resources, if if like, if if like if teams are going to start commanding like a devers S prospect for their like elite closers, like a Brad Hand or a Rassio Iglesias of the Reds, then I'd prefer to stay clear of those guys. I would start trying to upgrade along the uh, more unheralded uh, relievers, and you mentioned Ryan DePera of the Blue Jays, who just stepped in the closer role um, after Robert Azunia, Roberto Azunia was handed a suspension for violating the domestic violence uh, policy by Major League Baseball. He would definitely be a nice option to for the Red Sox to pursue. I know that the Blue Jays have already been uh, listening trade interest in him. Um, the Red Sox should definitely be in on the bidding. Another guy is Kyle Barronclaw in my mind, uh, Miami Marlin closer. Um, he's been, he's outperformed his FIP. He's got like a sub 150 ERA. That's not sustainable, but he's got a nice, uh, repertoire of pitches. Um, his fastball velocity has declined. If the Red Sox don't overpay, maybe he could be a good addition. Uh, he's proved over the past three years to be a pretty good reliever. I actually wrote an article about this, of uh, five relievers who should they, who should the Red Sox should potentially target. So I'm just going through down the list right here. Um, I have Kirby Yates, who's Brad Hand's setup man. Um, he's got like the best splitter since Koji Uehara, and it's it's so nasty, man. It is it is it would be unreal for the Red Sox. He's like he just implemented it this year, and hitters are like hitting 167 off of it with a 167 slugging percentage. It's like getting 25% whiff rate. It's insane pitch, and Kirby Yates is actually doing a lot better than Brad Hand. 0.74 ERA. He's got some stuff that suggests maybe it's not sustainable, but if the Red Sox can get him at a cheaper price for someone who's performing better in 18 than Brad Hand, definitely a guy to be interested. Uh, Joe Jimenez of the Tigers, he's been absolutely lights out as their setup guy. He's really young, got a lot of control, but... Um, He's probably maybe a little out of the price range just because of how young and good he is. And then the last one I had uh, was Keon Kella. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Closer of the Texas Rangers. I think he's the most uh, likely and probable guy that the Red Sox could get. He, I think he definitely would be on the trade market because the Rangers are in such a bad spot and they need to sell off some guys. Um, Kella is definitely better than Tabera and Baron Claw. Um, he's got a very uh, nice two-pitch mix with this curveball and fastball, kind of like a Craig Kimbrell deal without, like, you know, the explosiveness of the Craig Kimbrell fastball. But his numbers are really good. He's got a higher ERA than he should. His FIP is, like, 285, and that's very tantalizing to me. So, yeah, Keon Kella would be my if – if I'm saying that right, I don't know if I am. He would be the guy that I would think the Red Sox should definitely pursue the hardest given, like, a realistic price tag. Uh, Jordan, Jordan, who do you think would be some guys the Red Sox should look at for the bullpen? You know what? Um, I think I brought this up on our last podcast, but I really, I'm, I'm sticking with uh, Blake Trainin and uh, Max Kessler. Uh, Trainin, 
he's just a he's a very affordable uh, setup guy. He's he's the uh, athletics closer. Um, you know, like I said earlier, he was the player of the month in May, and I just I think he has some really dominant stuff, and I think he could he could be our setup guy. Um, another one is Max Kessler. He has like a high strikeout, uh, high strikeout rate, but also he can, uh, he walks some guys. I was, I was looking, um, I was looking just now and like, I, I don't know if this is a smart move or just what, you know, my, my little personal you know, dream of mine, but, um, Sergio Romo, I don't, I mean, I know one. he was the, uh, you know, raise uh, opener when they tried that experiment, which actually worked out pretty well because you know he kind of demonstrated some you know ambush strikeout stuff. I really like his slider. Um, it's just he has a really high ERA right now. Um, what what else? Uh, yeah, like I, I mean, Sergio Romo would be nice. I think he has like a, um, some good strikeout stuff with that slider and. He would he would be affordable, so definitely. Like I said, that that's probably more of a, more of like a you know personal personal aspiration of mine. But you know, I think Romo would be a good addition. No, oh, yeah, I think Romo would be a great addition. I think it's definitely a plausible one to get for the Red Sox because I'm not sure if they're going to be able to acquire someone of. I don't, I don't I don't know I don't know if they are able to, nor do they need to acquire someone who's like overwhelmingly like one of the best closers in baseball because they have a good bullpen. Dave, you mentioned like I was looking at like where they rank in ERA. They're like top seven in Major League Baseball and reliever ERA, and then in WAR they're like top five. So. I don't know if this. I think the bullpen problems are definitely um, they're definitely overblown a little bit. They do have some issues with late innings, and you wrote a wonderful piece about how Matt Barnes is actually uh, overperform not overperforming, but he's uh, performing a lot better than people think. And Joe Kelly's been solid, but I definitely think uh, both Barnes and Kelly definitely have shaky um, uh, performances from time to time, and you definitely want to shore up that bullpen, especially when you're going against these juggernauts in the Houston Astros and. The New York Yankees uh, come postseason, so it, it'll be fun to watch. Um, so that's actually going to be our last segment. Does anyone have any comment on the uh, bull, the state of the bullpen before we move on from that? No, I think I said everything that needs to be said. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to ask you guys one last question. Right now, it's June 24th. We're not even halfway. We're not even halfway through the the season. We are Boston Red Sox podcast, um, but I wanted to ask you guys, and I'll start with you, Dave. Has your uh, projections of who's going to win the American League East changed? I know, Dave, you thought the Red Sox were going to win going into the season. Have you altered that stance, or do you th- still think the Red Sox are the better team than the Yankees and will take the American League East? So going into the season, I thought the Yankees, I thought they'd be good, but I thought they were due from some regression from Judge. I thought Stan wasn't going to be nearly the player he was last year. And um, I didn't think Severino was going to be the guy he was last year either. I thought a lot of guys had sort of career years and they'd kind of fall back to earth a little bit, sort of like um, a lot of our hitters in 2017 after 2016. They have not. The Yankees have been, those guys have been more or less just as good as uh, they were last year, in some cases better. Stanton's been a little bit worse, but everyone should have known that he wasn't going to be 2017 stand moving forward um that being said though i still like the Sox chances i think um at the end of the day the better pitching tends to win especially when 
our offense with J.D. Martinez is still a top-five unit in the league. Yeah. We've got you know top-five pitching, top-five hitting. The Yankees can't say that. They have probably the best offense, but I would not put their pitching oh, no. in the top five in the American League. So I think that is going to nudge the Red Sox just over the top. But regardless, I think whichever team wins the division, it will only be by one or two games top. Yeah. Like, this is going to go absolutely down to the wire, and it should be incredibly exciting to watch. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and, and I applaud you for sticking with your socks um, on June 24th. Jordan, what do you, what do you think about the AL East race? Who, who's your projection to win at this point? You know, if, um, going into the season, I, I unfortunately predict the Yankees because I just the, the, just the awe with uh, John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. Uh, but thankfully, uh, John Carlos Stanton has kind of come back to earth this year. Um, so... At this point, um, I, I, I mean, I like the Sox. I mean, for the same reasons that uh, that Dave said, like pitching will rise at the beginning of the season. At, not the beginning of the season, but pitching will rise as like as we come down the stretch and as we approach the All Star game. You know, the, the race is going to tighten up, and we'll and we'll see uh, who who ends up at the top. Yeah, definitely. I agree with most of what you guys said. Uh, Dave, yes, the Red Sox rotation is much better than the Yankees, um, and that's like definitely going to work to their advantage. They have comparable offenses um both have elite offenses the only thing the yankees have better than the red sox is they have more depth and they have a better bullpen um but the red sox are trying to shore both of those up at the trade deadline obviously that will have a big um that's going to have be a big factor of what those teams actually do at the deadline yankees have more resources to work with um i think the red sox and yankees are going to be very very close and i know i brought this up but i'm going to have to go with the uh i'm going to go with the I'm going to go with the Yankees. I'm going to stick with my early season projection. I think the Yankees are the slightly better team. Red Sox have uh, more holes, and they have less depth. And if someone gets injured for the Red Sox, they are less uh, able to um, move past that in an effective manner than the Yankees are. I don't want to say this because this is a Red Sox podcast, and maybe I'll get a little heat for this, but both teams are awesome. Both teams are going to be there at the end of the season, and it could literally go either way. Either team could be the American League East uh, ch- champs when it's all said and done. Either Both teams have a wonderful chance of winning the World Series. Um, it's going to be a dogfight all year. I'm actually going to be going to the first game of the Yankees-Red Sox series, um, which is this weekend on Friday. Going to be in New York. Going to be supporting the Red Sox in a very loud and rambunctious Yankee Stadium. So that'll be fun. Um, but it's going to be a great race. Um, but actually, that's going to do it for this episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast, episode 12. Um, we can be listened to on SoundCloud. You can find us. Um, uh, we're the featured Red Sox site at the Grilling Truth Network, and they feature us um, on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and YouTube. So you can listen to this podcast there too, as well as on iTunes. Um, Dave, what did you want to say before we uh, departed here? Do you have any last thoughts? Uh, last thoughts? Not too much. Just, um, you know, buckle down for a big series coming up against the Angels, the Yankees, and the Nationals. Let's do it. Let's we'll learn a lot about this team over the next few weeks. We will. This is a real tough stretch, a real telling stretch. Jordan, what about you? You got any last thoughts? You know what? I'm just uh, reminiscing on... You know, the dominating performance that Chris Sale had today. Yeah. And um, the offense that, you know, we, we really brought the bat for, uh, for our race today. Definitely, definitely. 
So with that, that's going to conclude it for this Red Sox Unfiltered episode number 12 podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you guys. The Red Sox will play their next game on Tuesday. They will have an off day tomorrow, which will be Monday. And I believe it is going to be, is it David Price or Rick Porcello pitching? Does anyone know? I think it's Price. Um, I think it's Price. I want to say it's Price. Yeah, yeah Price. So we're going to go with Price. If we're wrong, don't be mad at us. That happens. People are uh, valuable. So, yeah. Go Red Sox, and we will see you guys for the next episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. Have a great one, guys.